Welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast. My name is Jake. I am joined, as always, uh, by Brett Landry, the senior pastor here at Christ City Church. And today we have a very special guest, Liz Manigren. Liz Manigren is the author of Embrace, Clinging to Christ Through the Pain of Pregnancy Loss. Uh, perhaps even more importantly, Liz, you're part of our community here at Christ City Church. I don't know if that's more important, uh, but we're, <laughs> we're quite proud of you, and we love that you're part of our community. And so welcome to the podcast, Liz. Thank you. So glad to be here. So Liz, you wrote this book. Again, it's embraced, uh, Embrace Clinging to Christ Through the Pain of Pregnancy Loss, um, and it deals with pregnancy loss, as the subtitle suggests. I'm wondering if we can just begin our time together today just with you telling uh, your story, uh, a bit of your experience and your journey uh, with pregnancy loss. Yeah, I'd be honored. Um, so Andreas is my husband, and um, we got married uh, quite early. We were in our early 20s, and we never had any experience uh, with loss or really anything kind of heavy at all at that point. We were still very young and naive. Um, we got pregnant uh, about seven months after we got married. We found out that we were expecting identical twin boys, um, which was quite the shock, <laughs> first mm, of all. Yeah. Um, just totally unexpected. And the pregnancy went really smoothly. Um, I think I had one person, uh, my grandfather, who, when he heard that we were expecting twins, said, oh, and was like quite taken aback and, oh, you need, you know, you need to prepare yourself. Twins, you know, twin pregnancies don't always end well. Um, but other than that, I hadn't heard anything really at all that would suggest that, you know, loss was even a possibility. Um, we were high risk and I knew that, but everything was going so smoothly and the doctors were so optimistic about how, how well it was going. And then I was seven months pregnant um, and I started feeling a reduction in movement. And so we went into the hospital and things just happened so quickly. We were really blindsided, um, by how quickly things can change within a pregnancy and how it can go from completely normal and, um, fine to just absolutely devastating. And so we ended up losing our firstborn. Um, we named him Landon. And um, our son, Alistair, uh, who is now healthy, happy, six-year-old boy, um, he was quite sick at birth as well, and he was in the NICU for about seven weeks. And <clears throat> that was our first introduction to this world of mm. grief and, and loss. Mm. And um, yeah, and it was really very just devastating. There's mm -hmm. no other word except devastating. Yeah. I think one of the reasons we're um, maybe excited is the wrong word, but eager to have this conversation today is that as as you and, and I and Brett have talked about uh, before the podcast, is that there's something that isn't often discussed uh, at, at, in society at, at large, but also in the church uh, as well. Um, you, you tell this mm -hmm. story on page 19 of your book. And, and by the way, uh, I'm just also proud that you're like, you're a fantastic writer, Liz, and so I'm oh, just, thank you. I'm, I, I, I feel very <laughs> proud. Uh, but in the book, you you write um, you write this. Growing up, miscarriages weren't talked about very frequently. In fact, I can only remember one conversation where it was purposely brought up rather than hidden behind hushed whispers and church gossip. As a teen, I spent a majority of my summers floating in the milfoil-filled lake uh, behind my grandparents' summer cabin. My granddad and I would paddle around on little styrofoam buoys, our arms and legs skimming along the top of the water to avoid the sharp rocks beneath our feet. 
It was on one of those, these occasions that I learned about the uncle I never knew, a baby boy miscarried back in the 60s. With my grandmother napping on the porch and out of earshot, my granddad whispered of how he'd carefully spooned the perfectly formed baby out of the toilet into a glass jar and then drove it to the doctor's office. It seemed a relief for him to finally talk about the son he'd never known. Mm -hmm. I, I remember reading that and just being taken aback, to, to say the least. And I'm wondering, Liz, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's, this is a complex answer, but I'm wondering uh, if you can speak to maybe why this exists as it does in both our culture and, and, and in the church at times, as this sort of secret mm -hmm. thing that we don't talk about. Mm -hmm. It definitely, it's definitely is something that hasn't been talked about for, for generations and generations. And so I think there's a lot of stigma that comes with loss. A lot of times people feel very ashamed. Um, mm. They carry this really heavy burden that it was somehow their fault that they did something wrong. Um, in the past, I know a lot of people have said, oh, you know, did you lift a heavy box? Did you drink too much coffee? Did right. you do something wrong to cause this? And so there is a lot of that, that shame that um, women carry after a miscarriage, mm. uh, that they're embarrassed to talk about, that they're afraid to, to share that. Um, and in the process, they end up robbing themselves and losing a lot of that community and that support um, mm. that we can have. Yeah. What, when you, I mean, Liz, uh, yeah, again, Jake and I are acquainted with this pastorally because of caring for uh, husband and wife generally as they go through a miscarriage. Uh, on one hand, you've got a husband who kind of goes, I, I, I feel completely helpless because there's nothing I can do. And then you've got a, yep. a wife who is saying, I, you know, people are asking me if I did something wrong. You know, what, what for you, and I mean, I know uh, as I've read the book as well, it's so encouraging and saturated with scripture. And I think there's so much wisdom that you have uh, in, in and through your experience, but also the hard work you've done of learning and growing. What mm -hmm. do you speak to a woman who's saying in that situation that you're, you're explaining right there of like there's shame around it, so we'll, mm -hmm. just, we'll just silence it. What, what word of hope do you speak to someone in that circumstance? There is such freedom in Christ. Mm. And I think the beauty is that in Christ, we have the freedom to mourn even the earliest of losses. Mm. We have the freedom to find value in those losses. When mm. the world says there is no value in a life mm. that is lost, you know, at six weeks, it's okay. You don't have to mourn it. But we can find that freedom in Christ to say, it's okay for me to mourn this. Mm. It's okay for me to grieve this. And it's okay for me to to share this mm. and to talk about it um, because it's not something that I need to be ashamed of. It's a beautiful gift that God has given us and that we can celebrate this life no matter how long we had with them. Mm -hmm. Liz, uh, you mentioned in telling you and Andrea's story that you were devastated, obviously, at the loss of, of Landon. Um, and then you talk now about the freedom in Christ. I imagine your, your, your first response after the loss of Landon, and maybe you're a better Christian than I am, is not like freedom in Christ and, no. and grabbing hold of yeah. that. But do you want to take us a bit through your own sort of emotional uh, journey with the Lord uh, in that season and, and sort of how you process that? Yeah. So I think after Landon, um, it, I mostly just felt numb, to be honest. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was just such a shock, such a surprise. There were so many emotions, so many you know, even just hormones after giving birth, right? So there's just so many different things that I was feeling and experiencing, and I just felt really numb. And so for the first little bit, it was very difficult uh, even to dive into scripture and to feel like I was mm. connecting on any level. And 
a lot of times I think that grief does carry through to our faith walks and to our spiritual um, walks. And so you can just feel very lethargic almost is the best word. And you just not, um, yeah, not able to fully dive in and experience that fullness and that freedom and what you're hoping to get out of it. Um, and so for me, there was a lot of that. It took, took a long time to work through it and to get to the point where I could find beauty in the story, where I could find freedom in the story, where I could see God's hand clearly guiding us mm. throughout the totality of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things you say in the book, which I think is so helpful and I think applies to the, the rest of life as well, too, is that uh, not comparing griefs, like, or not comparing mm-hmm. like, like how we mourn or like the, the duration yeah. it takes us to, to mourn a loss or whatever it is in our life. I wonder if you could just speak to that a bit, because I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after Landon, we went on to have four miscarriages in a row. And one of the things that a lot of women come in and mention to me is like, oh, well, you know, my story isn't like yours or it wasn't as bad as what you went through. Mm. And all I can say to that is no, Mm. (laughs) if you've experienced a loss, you've experienced a loss. There is no comparison. That grief is real. Mm -hmm. It hurts. It affects all of your life. Um, And yeah, there, there's really, there's really no comparison. Mm. You have to take it each loss as it is and work through it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think of comments like, well, it's been a year, you should be over it by now, or it's been two years, and, and, and putting a timeline on that, recognizing that these yeah. are complex things, that timelines, uh, you know, can't be imposed upon them necessarily. Uh, mm-hmm. If I can, Liz, I want to read another quote from your book, um, and it comes uh, in, in a section on grieving, and you, and you quote Revelation 21, and where uh, the Apostle John writes, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no, uh, mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then you say this, Until that joyous day, we will cry and we will ache over the seemingly impossible separation from our little ones. Grief takes time and patience to work through, something we all are a- admittedly not very good at. This doesn't mean that we allow our grief to conquer or defeat us, but simply that we're not confined by impractical expectations or time limitations. You know, I'm mm-hmm. often having conversations with people about grieving, and some people who refuse to grieve and, and take what I would suggest perhaps is more of a stoic approach where like, let's just, you know, muscle through this uh, yeah. and others who grieve in such a way uh, where they have no hope, where the Revelation mm-hmm. 21 passage um, doesn't uh, seem like it's true for them. And so can you maybe yeah. even just speak to the uh, specificity of, of how we are to grieve as Christians mm-hmm. um, and, and like, the tension that we strike in, in that grieving? Does that make sense, Liz? Yeah. Yeah, I think... There is that tension um, because we do find it a lot. I mean, even when we look historically, you know, you get the, you're not supposed to grieve at all, buck up, put a strong face on, you know, go back to work the next day. Um, And then versus that freedom now that we have and that we're discovering in Christ that grief is okay and that grief is something that we can use to glorify God. Mm. And so there's that hope that we long for that future hope of being reunited and worshiping together around the throne. Um, but there's also that hope and that comfort that meets us in the here and the now mm-hmm. and that we need to have in order to get through, you know, this time left until that future when we are reunited mm-hmm. again. That's right. Liz, when you talk about grief um, and, and you talk about it, what is the role of lament in that? Because I know you cited a passage of scripture in your book out of Psalm 42, which is near to my heart uh, mm-hmm. as somebody who struggled with depression. Uh, 
Uh, it's mm-hmm. a, it's, it's Psalm 42 and 43 were, were like home base for me for different seasons of my life. But you say the, the Psalms are a really great example of what it means to embrace our grief. The yeah. lament does not avoid sorrow, but faces it head on. And, and, and you actually talk about like how our grief is supposed to drive us toward God. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I, that's like one of those things that it, you can't see the contours of that. Like you can't flatten that out. You know, or, or, or when we hear stories of people dealing with their grief and their sorrow, it seems flattened. But when you're going through it, it's like a contoured field and there's ups and downs and there's, there's actually little peaks and there's little valleys all the way through it. Just maybe describe a little bit of how lament sustains you in your grief and how you can approach the God of the Bible with verses of scripture like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so important to realize that we serve a God who understands mm. suffering and who understands pain and grief and separation in a way that no one else does. And so he is able to fully meet us Mm. in that place of desperation and in that place of lament. And so the scriptures are a beautiful place to go to when you are in in that pit, in that feeling of as low as you can go. There is such comfort to be found in the ability to cry and in the ability to cry out to him and to grieve along with scripture. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I think we don't talk about a lot, this ability to cry our way through the messy bits of life. Um, but the Psalms are such a beautiful, beautiful picture of that. Mm. Liz, we had this experience with our uh, our first child uh, when he was being born. Uh, we're in the hospital, uh, the heart rate monitors on my wife. It begins to plummet. And Brett referenced earlier this feeling of helplessness that we often have as husbands, whether it's in you know impending loss or, or actually mm-hmm. during loss it, itself. And so I remember feeling at that time as doctors rushed into the room and thankfully everything uh, worked out fine, praise God, um, like of just complete helplessness. And, and I imagine for, 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 your, for your husband, for Andreas, uh, that, that he felt early on a sense of like, how do I actually love and care for Liz, uh, in this moment of, of her tremendous grief and in feeling numb, like, like, mm-hmm. like you described, how were other people like trying to uh, come alongside you? What was, what was working? Maybe if that's the wrong word, but, mm-hmm. and what was sort of like, like, that's not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times people are scared, um, to approach someone after grief. They're yeah. worried about saying the wrong thing. They're worried about causing more pain. Um, and I would just encourage people to to dive in. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be afraid to get messy. It's okay if you say the wrong thing. But most importantly, you just need to be there mm-hmm. and just need to um, show up and check in and say, hey, how are you doing? And it's okay to, to say the baby's name. It's okay to talk about this. Um, as parents who've gone through loss, you know, we're already thinking about the baby. Mm-hmm. You bringing it up isn't going to cause me more pain. It's just going to let me know that I'm not alone in this. Mm, so and, and so I think that's something that's just important to remember is not to walk away because you're afraid or you feel they need time. And maybe they do need time. Mm-hmm. Um, but just checking in, just seeing how you can support them mm-hmm. and, and offering that love to them. Mm. Can you speak specifically maybe to how Andreas uh, came alongside you uh, and, and sort of the ways in which like you knew that he loved you uh, in this yeah. time? I think for me, Andreas is always really good at um, 
communicating his emotion, which I know can be a challenge for some husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were definitely times where I thought, oh, is he is he still mourning? And so just for him to be able to show me that he was still grieving meant a lot to me and to show me that he he was feeling this too. I know sometimes um, he feels like he needs to fix everything. He feels mm-hmm. like he needs to be strong for me. But seeing that weakness and that tenderness was what I needed as a wife at that moment. Mm-hmm. I needed to see that he was, um, yeah, that he was hurting and that we could just sit together and cry together and worship together and laugh together and read the scripture together, mm-hmm. knowing that we were both experiencing um, the same depth of emotion and of, and of heaviness at that time. That's such a gift that you're able to do that together. I know statistically, you know, it's not a, a, a church statistic, but statistically, culturally, um, the loss of a child is one of those things that can just absolutely drive a wedge between husband and wife. And yeah. and it's a, it's a significant thing to be able to overcome that together and come out yeah. stronger on the other side of it. I think it's just beautiful yeah. that you can you can share that. When you talk about um, when you talk about people who are afraid to say something, I mean, there are so many there are so many times where I mean, even in reading your book, I read that and I was like, "Ooh, I shouldn't have said that." I, I guess. I say my hand is raised right now. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I was like, oh well, because I I do have a personal like like the way that I this is how I I, I basically decide whether I should be involved in somebody's situation or not pastorally. If I even think about it and ask myself the question, I wonder if I should go to that or if I wonder if I should reach out to them, then I already know the answer is yes. Yeah. So when, when somebody has somebody else in their family die and they're far away and I think, I wonder if I, I should just check in and give them a call. If I think about it, for me, the answer is yes, because I know that I would rather err on the side of being present yes. and saying the wrong thing than being absent and saying nothing. So, so I'm already in the camp of people who you're talking about where it's like, just show up. Like, like you know, Jake and I talk about this with our other pastoral team. Like 90% of our jobs is showing up. Mm-hmm. And you just show up and then you go, okay, God, help me because I have no clue how I'm supposed yeah. to speak to this. That, that's most yeah. pastoral care. And, and in, the, in the same situation, though, I, I do want to grow and be better with the things that I say and the things that I don't say. What, were, what would be some of those things? Because you've already established the most important thing is don't be afraid. Show up and say something. So we're, yeah. I'm con- fully convinced, fully persuaded that we should all do that. But what are yes. some of those things, Liz? I mean, I, I mean I've, I've read your book and I've read your blogs over the years, and you've got a fairly strong uh, online presence. And I've read some of the things that people have said to you, and I just... I sort of, my heart just sinks because I, I, I go, I have to think those are well-meaning people who are just unwise yeah. and have not yet learned. So how, can we help maybe even just for the next few minutes, just talk about some of those things that are maybe the, <laughs> the, the, you know, the top five worst offenders or something like that, but just things that are like just completely unhelpful where you say, thank you for showing up, but my gosh, that was not helpful. Yeah. I think any statement that ever starts with at least should just be avoided. Don't start any sentence with the words at least, you know, at least um, you weren't further along, at least you miscarried naturally, at least, you know, whatever. Anything at least is is not helpful. Mm. Um, at least you know you can get pregnant, stuff like that. It's just, it really does minimalize what you're feeling right now. Um, it says that, you know, don't you don't have to grieve this because at least... It wasn't as bad as it could have been, and and that's not helpful. Uh, minimalizing anyone's pain in that moment, they just they need you to 
to, as we mentioned before, stand with them and be there. And so not to negate that pain, but to say, I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to comfort you right now. Nothing I can say will comfort you right now. Here is a box of tissues. Tell me your story. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me weep with you. Let me say your child's name. Let me just be an active participant with you in this grief. Um, other things to avoid saying, sometimes people <laughs> try to be really well-meaning and, um, talk about their own grief, um, which is great. Um, we had a funeral director who, while we were planning the funeral for Landon said, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but our cat just ran away and I don't know how to tell my son that Fluffy's Ooh. not coming home. And so stuff like that, like probably not very helpful. I know you're well-intentioned, but um, yeah, probably not the best place to go. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. That's very bad. And look, all the, all the cat moms out there and, and cat dads, p pets are fantastic. I love how Brett is now hedging what I've just, what I've just <laughs> no, said. No, I'm not. I'm just saying I, I had to take a second there because that is... That is, it's very insensitive yeah. and it's, it's, it's unwise. You're, yeah, you're better off to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. Yeah. And just, if you don't have anything else to say, just go, like you said, here's a box of tissue. I, yeah. th there are some times where I don't have words for people. I've gone through things. I have grief and it's, it's sometimes helpful to say, you know, here's how I experienced it. There's certainly like, yeah. that's why we're talking to you. We want to hear yeah. your experience. And we want more people to hear your experience and, I mean, all of the stories that you told in your book that are so helpful from other people uh, that you've, you've, you've collected these stories and shared them. It's really, really profoundly helpful. But one of the best things for me in terms of sitting with people who are grieving is just to sit with them. I usually, mm -hmm. if I can, I sit down beside them and I put my hand on their back and they just weep. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, don't have to, yeah. I can actually just, you know, I don't have to open my mouth and reveal my foolishness. I can just sit there yeah. quietly and pray for the person and just say, why don't you just let me pray quietly? And it's so important to be able to have a place to do that. Um, and so, yeah. okay, so, that, so that's one. Don't, don't start with, you, there's a couple. You said don't start with at, um, least. at least, which I at think least. is really good. Yeah. And then also, yeah. you know, some, somebody who's experiencing um, a justifiable pain in their life, it may not yeah. be proportional to the pain that you've just experienced. Yeah, and, and so, I, think, I think there is, you know, elements of you know if you lose your cat like I will mourn with you over that this is a loss for your family as well but when you're coming to comfort somebody else um yeah, yeah sometimes that's not the time but also I think it speaks to the fact that you know this was a funeral director who had said this to us exactly and so even people who deal with death every day who see loss every day sometimes you just don't know what to say in the face of something like this and so it's something that we all struggle with um, you know, even myself, sometimes I will catch myself asking certain questions and then realizing, oh, this could be a sensitive issue. Um, sometimes people, you know, in the grocery store, just making conversation, they ask how many, how many kids do I have? And that can sometimes, depending on the day, depending on how I'm feeling, can be a tricky question to navigate. Mm. Um, and so there's just, you know, just different things, just different elements that you don't necessarily think about um, that can cause someone pain and you're not meaning it to. Um, but it's just part of part of grief and part of the journey. Uh, I know this story from from you telling it to me personally. Uh, I think 
you and Andreas were just sharing this with me once, but uh, it, it may also be in the book. I know I've read it online before as well, so I'm not sure, but you can help me to, to be, <laughs> be reminded of it. But the, yeah. the person who was speaking to you in the grocery store about the, the age gap of your children. Yeah, yeah. And, and how you, you, know, you need to tighten that up. And, yeah. and meanwhile, you've had multiple miscarriages in between. Yeah. Yeah. Unsolicited advice on things that they really don't have any knowledge of. It's got to be a yeah. category. Yeah, I think I think there is an element where you you want to support someone, and especially if you know they're going through grief and they're feeling this loss. Um, but maybe if you don't know them all that well, start with a casserole. Start with mm. you know a check in, a text, just to say, hey, I was thinking of you. Want to make sure you're doing okay, that you have support. If you need me, I'm here. Um, sometimes if you see somebody, yeah in the grocery store or whatever, that may not be the best time to impart your, your two cents. Um, (laughs) yeah. So just being cautious about the environment that you're in as well. If you are at church and, um, you're seeing them for the first time after loss, you know, they may really want a hug. Um, but they may also not be comfortable bursting into tears in the middle of everyone Mm -hmm. in the center of coffee. Um, time. And so sometimes it's, hey, like, I would love to meet up with you um, at some point, mm-hmm. go out for coffee together, you know, or come on over to my house. I will, you know, make dinner for us and we can chat, something like that as well. So just being um, aware of the your circumstances and what's around you as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things we've mentioned a few times in our conversation so far, and I think it's really important that we highlight it, is talking about telling your story. And so mm-hmm. I was on a bike ride last night with a, uh, a counselor friend of mine, and he talked about how counselors, um, and he's talking about biblical counselors in particular, and I'm sure this is a, a practice used across the board, uh, emphasize telling your story for the purpose of, we oftentimes don't realize how we're feeling about something or there have been hurts uh, in our life until we actually verbalize, like the actual act of verbalizing that or uh, putting pen to paper is so important in identifying these things that actually maybe this is impacting me maybe more than I know. And so it has that Mm -hmm. impact. And in addition to that, it also, as you do such a good job of in this book, Liz, it allows us to think through how does this story fit with God's story? How does this story fit in terms of the story that God has weaved, um, has woven rather, like from the beginning of time and now in Christ uh, through me? And so I love the fact that you tell not only your story in the book, but also the story of many other uh, ladies as well. And so mm-hmm. um, really, really encouraged by that. I, I do want to, to highlight one story in particular I thought was really interesting. Uh, you tell the story of a woman named Meg. Uh, Meg, who grew up, I think, in northwest China. And I'm just going to read a section uh, from the book uh, that I think will lead to a conversation that I I would love your insight on. Uh, Liz, you write this. Meg says, I had many months of grieving and really hating Chinese culture. This is after Meg uh, had experienced uh, pregnancy loss. Um, As I blame things in the culture for us losing our daughter. I specifically felt as if the Chinese medical professionals hadn't done enough to save my daughter. It was a fast way of learning how this culture treats early life. Because of China's one-child policy, my Chinese friends didn't understand why I'd want to keep a pregnancy where something was, and then in uh, quotations, wrong. Oftentimes, mothers in China throw away their stillborn child and don't want to see them. It's part of their grieving process to keep those emotions far away. A mother would need strength to go back home without a baby and to get her body back to a healthy state. It took me months to forgive the medical professionals for wanting to throw away my baby and to forgive my Chinese friends for not wanting to grieve my daughter with me. They wanted me to forget her so that I could get healthy myself and would ask questions like, 
Why do you want to name your daughter? Or why did you bury her? Why are you so sad? You can have another. I think it's important to recognize in every conversation we have that people experience this differently. Talking about pregnancy mm -hmm. loss now, in regards to the culture that they actually exist in and are a part of. And so I, I'm wondering if we can talk about this. So us three sitting on this table, part of Western, uh, white, sort of European uh, culture, uh, what are some mm -hmm. of the cultural um, sort of markers or sort of values that we hold that maybe don't lend themselves well to some of the things you talk about in this book, whether that's grieving or hope or whatever the case may be. Uh, I don't know, Brett, I'd love for you to speak on this as well too. I, I'm wondering if there's some cultural things uh, for us to be aware of, of, of other cultures and other ethnicities, but also of our own culture that might be uh, detrimental mm -hmm. here. So Liz, I wonder if you could just speak to that really, really quickly. Yeah, um, I think it, it's true. We all have different ways of approaching grief. I think each of um, each of our cultures deals with grief and with loss in a different way. Some are more comfortable talking about it. I think that is one of the downsides of our Western um, culture is that we don't like talking about grief. We don't deal with it well. It's not something that is um, discussed. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's a lot of differences in the way that we that we approach it. And so I think that does come to play um, with pregnancy loss. And for women around the world, um, pain and, and loss happens. But how how they experience it is very different. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that at least Brett and I have noticed pastorally is that on, on the whole, I mean, especially in Vancouver, we have such a emphasis on life and activity yeah. and, and our yeah. bodies and, and how we're feeling and doing juice cleanses and yoga and, you know, CrossFit and all, all those things, which are all, I'm sure. Some of those are okay. Some of those are okay. <laughs> uh, that's a different podcast. Um, Some but, of those are terrible ideas. But we have we have this sort of, and we don't we just don't talk about death, ever. Right. Like, yeah. like there is no forum. Like where do you have conversations about death? And so I I just know culturally this is something that we really struggle with. And I think there's an opportunity for us as the church, again as you say time and time again in the book list, to be like this prophetic witness, to be this like pointing to a reality, both to like the value of that child, that that child was made in the image of God, whether they're, mm -hmm. you know, six weeks, like you said, or like, you know, stillborn, um, you know, and like there, that we have hope in, in Christ. I don't know, Brett, if you want to speak to that at all. Well, I just think that we, we do live in a world that is sanitized from death. Mm -hmm. And so typically, you know, a hundred years ago, you had dying relatives in your home until they died and then you saw their dead body and then you came and you, you know, you would have carried them out to, a, to the casket or, you know, put them in a casket, carried them out to where they're going to be buried and there's a funeral and the, the body is buried and it all happened very quickly. Whereas now we've sanitized a lot of these things, in, even from like the years that lead to death you know, where people are, are in homes and goodness, we're in this pandemic right now where people can't even visit their family members in homes. Mm -hmm. um, it, they're even further removed from the society. But I think overall, we don't deal with death very well mm -hmm. because we are just looking for happy, clappy things. And, yeah. and so death is like that thing you see in a movie. It's that thing that happens to those other people that you read about in the news. It's not something that happened to you. And then what happens is if you're formed with that kind of cultural discipleship, you have you you experience death in some way in your own life and you don't know how to you're not equipped to deal with it mm -hmm. and i think it's one of the reasons i think it, we're supposed to talk about this and and it's not just like preparing ourselves for our eventual death which is something that i think a lot of us we have to think about there's a lot of reasons you know all three of us are parents and so you got to think about the the plans that you make just in case you should die for you know going through whatever you go through but at the same time uh, i think at the same token you have like this 
you have to focus it within your family and within your extended family and within your community. But we're not just dealing with end of life. That person lived to an old age and then died. Like, like Christ City is a young church, right? So we're seven years old as a church, almost. September will be seven-year anniversary. Planted a couple churches. So that's South Van planted in Kitsap, you know, three and a half years ago. East Van almost a year ago. Um, if we did like a tally of how many weddings we've done and how many baby dedications we've done versus how many funerals we've done, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's completely skewed. We've done, I think, six funerals in seven years. We, two of them were this weekend. Uh, two of those six are related to uh, children of people who were part of the body of Christ City who died in the fentanyl overdose crisis. Um, one of them was a baby who, who the parents knew from very early on in the pregnancy that this baby was not going to live long. And, uh, and, and then the two who were older. Uh, and then one who, again, uh, a dear woman who's part of Christ City, her mother just suddenly passed away, just very suddenly. And all of a sudden, you're confronted with it as a pastor because we're not doing funerals every week. Right. Our mm-hmm. church is not that, that old, established church. In fact, we don't live in an old, established city even, really. A lot of people don't finish their final 25 years in Vancouver. They move somewhere else to do that. And so our church is not largely populated with people who are aging. But, 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 there is just as much death that needs to be reckoned with within our community. That's and right. a lot of it is at this level. There, there have been many miscarriages. There, I mean, there's, there's pastoral situations I'm currently working on with people. And praise God, we have women like Liz in the church and women like my wife who've, who've been through some of these things and know how to speak to it with wisdom. And we surround them. And, and then we have people in, in our, who are dealing with fertility issues and how that leads mm-hmm. up. I guess the point is we don't talk about any of it. Mm-hmm. And when you don't talk about any of it, it makes everybody else feel like you can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. This is a dumb illustration, but if you walk into a store and you're the only one wearing a mask in the pandemic, you start to think, well, maybe I shouldn't be wearing my mask. I feel like I'm the only one, right? There, there's something that sociologically happens to us where, where we get involved in a community. And if nobody ever talks about that one thing, then you feel like you can't talk about that one thing. And what you need is somebody like Liz to write a book and break that, that you know, shatter that glass pane so that everybody else can work in through it. And they can actually see that there's a lot of healing on the other side of dealing with this rather than just suppressing it. That's a really long answer to the very short question you asked me. But that's, that's yeah. how I think about it is that you have to get the conversation started, which, again, hopefully some of this um, podcast will do that. Liz, yeah. uh, so towards the end of the book, in Chapter 14 in particular, you, you start talking about pregnancy after loss. And mm-hmm. so uh, obviously there's a whole thing that happens where you, you're grieving and you're still grieving and that you and Andreas, your husband, are still like, we, we, we do very much want to have more, more children. Uh, and so how do you guys get to that place? Uh, what had to be done beforehand? Maybe lead us through a bit of that sort of process of, of deciding to, to, to try for more children, despite all the grief and sore that you had experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, after Landon, we had decided to start trying again. Um, and so we had uh, another, we had our first miscarriage. And the doctors had said, you know, one miscarriage is completely normal. A lot of women have them. Um, you know, you don't, you're not at any higher risk. So we got pregnant again, and we had a second miscarriage. We got pregnant again. We had a third miscarriage. And by this point, um, you know, I'm starting to wrestle with how much more can I handle? How much more pain right. can I, yeah, can I go through? And can I willingly open myself up to? Because this is something that... You know, we don't have to get pregnant. I could choose not to get pregnant and not to experience this pain again. Was I willing to do that? And we got pregnant again, and we had our fourth miscarriage. 
And I think there is, there's a lot that you have to wrestle with there. Um, you have to wrestle with whether or not, you know, the risk (laughs) is worth this potential gain. Um, but also just the fact that even if I lose this pregnancy, even if I lose this child, it's not for nothing. Mm -hmm. And I've been given a gift and something that I can cherish um, each day, no matter how many days I have. Mm -hmm. And so it was really for me a mental shift that I had to approach it very differently than I'd approached that first pregnancy before loss um, when I was naive to what could happen. And so it was dealing with it day by day, um, wrestling and soaking in the scriptures and clinging to God and trusting that no matter what the outcome was, he was still going to be there. He was still going to be good. And that this baby was still mine, that I was still its mother, no matter how long this baby had. Now, I know the second hand, uh, but each, uh, each woman experiences pregnancy different, differently. Uh, that that yeah. that for some that secondhand knowledge. <laughs> Brett's laughing at me right now. Secondhand knowledge. Secondhand knowledge is not. <laughs> I was like, where is he going with this? <laughs> no, oh yeah, yeah, because you've yeah. not been pregnant. Okay, got it. Good. Just qualifying my my, my statement here. There was, but, there was questions. There were a lot of questions. Yeah, about for that. for for some uh, w- women, uh, pregnancy is like this, like joyous, like I'm glowing. It's just like I'm, I feel alive, sort of experience. Uh, for others, including my wife, uh, you, you know, you're vomiting the entire time, and and you feel quite sick. Um, but mentally. Um, I mean, it must do something where, uh, like, are you racked by anxiety throughout this entire, like, are you just wondering, like, what, when is the, like, the, like the other shoe going to drop? Or, mm-hmm. or, or like, like, how do you, I mean, even just thinking right now, if there's, there's a, a woman in, in our church or outside of our church right now listening to this who's pregnant right now and worried about, like, like I'm just worried all the time and anxious mm-hmm. all the time. Um, yeah. I, like, I, like, how would you speak, um, what would you say to this, this person? Yeah, so... Um I have been messaged uh, countless times uh, by women around the globe. I get messages all the time from women who have, first of all, they message me when they experience a loss and a miscarriage or a stillbirth. And then um, a few months later, they'll message me again, uh, very excited to announce that they are pregnant again, but also just totally overcome with feelings of anxiety and fear and wrestling with just these doubts of what if something goes wrong again? What if I lose this baby? How do I, how do I handle it? How do I walk through the next nine months dealing mm-hmm. with these fears? And so first of all, um, I just want to encourage anyone who's dealing with this um, that you're not alone mm-hmm. in it, that these are very real feelings, very real emotions, um, things that I think most of us experience to some degree or another, if we have had a loss, um, when we get pregnant again, we're going to feel these, these worries and these fears. And anxiety isn't something that I normally grapple with on a day-to-day. That's not something that I'm naturally prone to. Um, but for myself, I know that every pregnancy after loss, I have felt that emotion mm. and I have felt those fears. And I think it's important to remember that just because we're trusting in God day by day doesn't mean that we don't still experience worry, Mm -hmm. that we don't still feel fear. Mm -hmm. Um, It just means that when we trust in God, that we're allowing him to carry us through those moments Mm -hmm. and to hold us in the midst of those moments Mm -hmm. and believing that no matter where this goes, he's still there Mm -hmm. 
and he is still his comfort abounds and so I think that's important to remember that we don't have to have it all together we don't have to present this perfect attitude um, to say I'm trusting in God so everything is fine and I don't feel bad at all sometimes we do still feel horrible Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) sometimes life still hurts and so there's that there's that tension again there that we wrestle with Mm -hmm. would you say as you've gone through you know you've already you've kind of chronicled the loss uh and and the and the birth that you you know the children that you have and the children that you've lost um who are yours no different but just not with you Mm -hmm. as you've gone through these things would you say that like you've actually because you've allowed God into the pain, would you say that your faith has been strengthened as you move through these things? Or would you say that that's something that, you know, you're still trying to catch up where it's like, it's a, it's it's a knockdown. 100%. I think, um, I think God has completely strengthened my faith through this. I think when you hit that point where you can't feel any lower and there is nowhere else to cling to, but Christ, there is this new, depth of understanding of God's goodness, of his faithfulness, of his, um, of who he is, of his love. I have learned just so much through this experience with suffering. He has taught me, um, leaps and abounds what I would have learned had life just been smooth sailing and had I not had to walk through this. And so it's difficult to walk through the fire. It hurts. Um, but there is a lot of truth to that being refined Mm -hmm. and coming out the other side and finding something really beautiful, um, that has been, been created through this fire. When you, so, I mean, we've talked a little bit about, um, the specifics of like, here's what not to say, here's what you should say. And, you know, you know, just the basics on, on some of that. But what would you say to the woman who is experiencing loss? like, you know, or has recently experienced loss, but has not actually been able to allow that to catalyze growth in faith and lean into that suffering and meet Christ in the midst of it, but is actually mm-hmm. sort of withdrawn from it and isn't sure what to do next. What would the, you know, mm-hmm. the first steps be for, for you speaking to the heart of that woman right now? Yeah, I'd say on a practical level, um, don't be afraid to look at your grief. Don't be afraid to really dive into it. I think a lot of what holds us back, even after I lost land and a lot of that feeling of, um, just, yeah, apathy, um, I think was just being afraid to really look at my grief and see what God was doing with it. Mm. Um, because I was afraid of how much it hurt. And I think when we allow ourselves to just let go of that, say, God, do what you will with this situation, um, there is that freedom and there, there will be growth. I think practically starting, you know, start with working on journaling, journal through your story, see what comes up, see what questions you have, see what you're wrestling with. Are you angry at God? Are you, you know, just completely devastated? Do you not believe, um, that he was with you? What, what are these questions that are, are maybe underlying that are, um, stopping you from moving forward? What are you really, um, uncertain about. And, and it's okay to wrestle with questions. It's okay to grapple with these things and then use these questions to drive you into scripture. And sometimes, you know, it, it feels dry. It might not feel like you're soaking thing up, but keep going, Mm -hmm. keep pressing in and 
talk with other women, share with other women who have gone through loss, allow them to minister to you, um, to pray for you. I think that is a huge thing. Um, having people around you who can pray for you specifically, not just, um, generally, but also for very specific things in your life to walk with you and support you through those little details as well. When, uh, I, I mean, having you and Andreas have been community group leaders now, house church leaders, uh, at Christ city for quite a while. And, you know, you've been around for years. And so it's been, you know, very, it's been a privilege to get to know you as you've gone through these different pains. One of the mm-hmm. things that I've appreciated about the two of you so much is that you've taken time to, to sort of own, uh, how you feel and name that grief, process that in prayer. Like you said, you guys can talk to each other and there's a great emotional connection that comes between both of you because he can share with you and there's that's good. One of the things that I've appreciated is that you didn't just sort of like peace out on mm. the gathered church. You didn't just kind of peace out on your community. It always felt to mm. me, and I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it always felt to me like you recognized the value of coming and putting your hands up in worship and weeping through the midst mm-hmm. of your pain. It wasn't like you tried to hide it or where you said, I'm uncomfortable. I know, and I know there are elements of this where it's like, yeah, it's uncomfortable to show up and just weep through an entire, you know, church gathering and then go home. Yeah. And, you know, so there's the, like, yeah, there's sometimes where you just, you can't bring yourself to do it, but I feel like you've always driven back into the sense of not being alone. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that an accurate intentional thing that you've done? Yeah. I think it is so important to be in community, especially when you go through a loss like this, to gather together and to realize that there is more to this than just what I'm going through right now, that this is a bigger story, that there is a bigger picture here, that we can gather together um, corporately to worship and to glorify God in the midst of this. And where I am weak and where I right now can't stand on my own, there are people who can stand beside me and come alongside of me and help lift me up. Mm And then vice versa, when I am able to stand on my own, that I can stand alongside other people who are going through similar circumstances. Yeah, we talk about the like the, our value of corporate worship together as a church. And, you know, there's a, a book written by a guy named Mike Cosper called Rhythms of Grace. And in that book, he talks about the, the three audiences of worship. And the number one is the primary audience is God himself. And so we, we worship as we gather together and we sing and we celebrate communion and we sit through the preached word and, and we listen and we engage in all of those things that, that God is our primary audience. And then he, the third audience, he says, is the watching world around us who are watching how we handle things that go on in our lives as we're part of the community of faith. But then the second audience, though, that he really highlights is how it's the one and others in the church. And there's something very inspiring uh, to me, about watching someone who I know is going through suffering, pain, sorrow, mm-hmm. loss. And when when I'm, as a pastor, can turn around on a Sunday or when I walk in on a Sunday and I see them standing there with their arms raised to God in worship, mm-hmm. and, and I go, you know what, and just, and, you know, tears streaming down their face or sitting down and looking like they're just slumped into a heap with Kleenex. But I go, man, like that person gets it. Because they need to, like, I need to see that in others so that I can be assured that when I go through pain, that God will meet me in it. I need to see yeah. that in others to find out that I'm not alone. And, and so it's always my plea with people who are suffering, 
don't isolate yourself. And it's not just for you. We actually all as a community need to be able to do this mm -hmm. together. And so, yeah, God is our primary audience for worship. And we can do that at home in our bed, you know, uh, with our, our Bible. And we know that we can connect with him. But we need to be seen by others so that others can learn and grow. And then also meet us in that and come alongside and support us. But I just think the way you've handled it and the way that you articulated in the book as well is really beautiful. Mm. And I have, I have no doubt that, I mean, Brad, I'm sure you could agree with that, that people will forget uh, my sermons. Uh, people will forget the sermon I preached la last week. Yeah, right? for sure. It's already been forgotten. For sure. <laughs> but what people will remember, and it's not to, this is not to diminish the, the, obviously the preaching of God's word. Obviously, we think that's important. But what people do remember is, did you see Liz today uh, at church worshiping? And like, I know what she's going through. And she's entrusting herself to the Lord. And it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. There's no sense yeah. of like, you know, like, oh, she has it figured out. But she's entrusting herself to the Lord. Uh, and that yeah. teaches and that preaches to people. I mean, the other night we were talking uh, as a group of guys around a table just with some discipleship conversations. And we are talking about what we grieved most about not gathering on Sunday anymore. And I remember, and I, I just started just like naming people, naming people as they experienced worship, as they engaged the Word of God each Sunday. And I was just weeping mm -hmm. because it's, it's the community of faith coming together and we're teaching one another, uh, even in the ways that we are in small ways and big ways, uh, giving our lives uh, to the Lord and to the supremacy of Jesus. Yeah. Um, Liz, I, I would love to kind of just end uh, just by asking you, um, how can we continue to pray for you, uh, pray for you and your family? And are there ways in which we as a church community can move forward uh, in this next season as we seek to support other women who've gone what you've gone through? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, prayer wise, just, yeah, to continue to pray specifically uh, for this book, um, mm. that it would land in the hands of the women who need it. Um, that God would continue to use it for his glory. Mm -hmm. I think for me, the biggest thing is I would, if I could, I would give this away to everybody <laughs> who who has a miscarriage. Right. Um, and I realize obviously that's, that's not possible, but I just so believe that there, that there is hope and that um, as we were just talking about, you know, in the sharing of our stories mm -hmm. and in the shattering of the silence and in the you know we're not we don't have to be ashamed we don't have to be burdened by this and so just yeah just to continue to pray that um god would use these words as um yeah as faulty as they may be coming from my own mouth um just that they would that he would be glorified through it all can i take a moment just to to, to plug that book again again the book is yeah. called embrace Clinging to Christ Through the Pain of Pregnancy Loss by Liz Manigren. Liz, where can we find this book and buy it? Yeah, so the book is available um, kind of any major book retailer. So you can get it on Amazon. Um, you can get it on Chapters. You can also uh, get it via my website, um, which is mommymanigren.com. And um, I would be more than happy to get that to anybody in the church who needs it. it can arrange a drop-off. Um but yeah, it's, it is available Great. now. Um, yeah. And I would just say anybody who wants to get connected to Liz, who doesn't, maybe didn't, you didn't capture that information, just remember this. You can always reach out to us. Uh, just email us at info at christcitychurch.ca and we can put you in contact uh, and, and point you in this direction in terms of, you know, people who want to buy a case of them kind of thing, because the, <laughs> like, this is the kind of thing that there's certain, so, so when I'm reading books, um, I read books for me that I want to read and maybe an area that I want to learn and grow. Uh, I also read books that I have to read, and mostly those are for preaching and teaching and, and, and trying to grow uh, in my job, 
uh, you know, in some of the things that I do as a pastor. And but I also read a lot of books that are I'm not reading them for me. I'm reading them to recommend them. And so I'll blast through a ton of books in a, in the course of a year that I'm looking for three or four that are just always going to be with me to hand to somebody. And so, I mean, I know that this is the kind of book that um, I want to have. And my wife does a lot of the care um, with women who are going through pregnancy loss within our church. And I know that she's handed this out um, multiple times. And Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that she also has plans to continue uh, to do so. And so I just, you know, I would say to you. And so, I mean, here's here's me and Jake, just two two dudes sitting over here having a conversation with you, Liz, um, who've written this book. I, I understand that Jake and I are not the primary audience for this. But I do want to mm-hmm. say that I, I really learned a lot pastorally mm-hmm. by reading the stories in this book and some of yeah. your instruction on it. And so I would really commend it to people. Um, if, you're, if you know someone who's gone through it, I think it's a very good resource to give them. They may leave it on the shelf for a few months. They may leave it on the shelf for six months. They may never look at it. But it's something yeah. to say, you know, here's a tangible, uh, a tangible way that you can think through your loss. And I really think some of the practical stuff that you've got in there is very valuable very very grateful to have you part of the body of christ city and uh for your time with us today just helping us have a window into what's gone on in the in the pregnancy loss uh not just yourself but the other stories that are included therein and how we might be able to appropriately respond so liz just want to thank you uh you and andreas are great we love you and your kids and uh i'm grateful that you come on the podcast with us thanks for joining us liz thank you thank you so much for having me okay Here Be Dragons is a podcast of Christ City Church in Vancouver. You can find us online at herebedragonspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dragon Podcast.